From the same station that invented radio with subtitles. This is the elixir of eternal youth. A worldly story told by a group of travellers. A history of Brisbane, Australia and the world. This is Radio in Colour. A special documentary series to celebrate four decades of Brisbane's four, 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 triple, triple, triple Z. I'm Helen Gregory. I'm an historian who's been working on the history of Brisbane for almost 40 years. One Brisbane writer rather romantically described the river in the 1920s as our river of dreams. It probably was anything but. It was highly industrialised, so a powerhouse along its banks at New Farm wouldn't have been out of place at all. There were huge ships drawing into the wool stores to pick up the wool, other ships going to the CSR refinery not far from the powerhouse to pick up the sugar, there were shipyards and ship repair facilities and miles and miles and miles of longitudinal wharves stretching along the river. And of course the water was very important to cool the power station as the power was created, as was easy transport of the coal. A lot of coal came to the Riverside power stations, and there were several, by rail from the Westmorton coal fields near Ipswich, but a lot was barged down. So to be on the river was also a convenient way of delivering the coal. The river in Brisbane historically was a dump, a sewer and a sand mine. Uh, and we embarked on a large program to turn it around. So we put walkways and facilities all along the river. And this is centre stage here in New Farm. There are several restaurants that open up onto the river. You've got these incredible vistas as the river turns around the corner and, and heads downstream. I think, you know, it's important that we see the river in a new light as an environmental gem, as the heart of the city, as the place that gives life and energy. You know, one of our whole philosophies was to get Brisbane to sort of not have its back to the river, but have its front to face the river. And the City Cats really did a, an amazing job of getting people on the river and getting this beautiful vantage point by just hopping on public transport. Peter Roy, who was the city architect at the time, who was a pommy and a lovely guy and had had experience in building theatres. Uh, he'd worked on QPAC and he'd worked on some theatre spaces back in England. formation of Brisbane was getting an electricity powerhouse to run the trams and that was a really important part of the formation of Brisbane. So when, when the council came together they built three major pieces of infrastructure and one was the City Hall which everybody of course knows and the other one was the Grey Street Bridge connecting across the river. There aren't very many, still not very many connections across there and this one was the third piece of infrastructure they built. So, I mean, it's 30% of the memory of the amalgamation of the, of the council in terms of infrastructure. At the moment, it sits in a fairly salubrious neighbourhood, um, which gives the powerhouse a lot of problems when it makes noise. The, the, uh, the rich toffs in those houses kind of complain about the noise and as they do across the river with the noise bouncing on the water and across there. But when we came here, um, CSIRO had their sugar factory on one side 
and Borrell had a plasterboard factory on the other side. So it in itself was nice and industrial and messy and uh, you know, noisy a lot of the time too. Yeah, but that all went and got replaced with some some fairly bourgeois housing down here. I'm Jim Sawley and I was the Lord Mayor of Brisbane from 1991 to 2003. And it was at that period that we had to make a decision about the powerhouse. So we began an urban renewal process down here, which included New Farm, the Valley, Tenerife, and over the first 12 months in office, we laid out a master plan to increase the density from about 10,000 to 30,000, but at the same time to increase the, uh, the livability of the area. Parks, walkways, opening up the river. Uh, the powerhouse, which had been derelict for a long time, uh, was one of those great big question marks over what we would ultimately do here. We had some costings done to demolish it and it was going to cost a million dollars to demolish because of the serious contamination that was in here. Um, so then we thought that's a lot of money to waste on pulling something down that does have some usefulness. So when we arrived we inherited this derelict building that had no roof, that had about two metres of water in it. Uh, it was like a big unloved bathtub inside, full of graffiti, and it was in the middle of its second life, which was as an unofficial home for homeless people, basically. Several attempts were made to, to make this building useful. There were obviously um, restraints on what the council could do. Council's a, a public entity, it can't just take a lump of land and develop it as housing. Uh, so there were restraints on it, it had to be used for community buildings and, and there were some attempts to make it into the Aboriginal Community Centre, there were attempts to make it into Griffith University School of Art. All of those failed. still a um, derelict powerhouse actually coming here and seeing circus performers bringing it to life but it was still gutted and there was water leaking everywhere and but it was very evocative in that performance way because the, the, the ceilings are just so high and the space is really creative in a visual way. Transplant, industrial narcotic hard performance at the New Farm Powerhouse, Brisbane, August and September of 1994. Once a colossal monument to progress, now inspirational in its raw aesthetic state of decay, the New Farm Powerhouse hosted Transplant, a spectacle of the cultural fringes of art, music, fashion and technology. Built in 1928, the New Farm Powerhouse in its prime was the centre of Brisbane's transportation network, in the late 60s, the trams disappeared from Brisbane and since that time, the massive and awesome structure has lain dormant. Pyrotechnics shattered the dark, pianos hang by the keys, aerial acrobats tempted fate traversing the hierarchy of levels, three worlds intertwined, contesting for power. Complete with hard hats, the audience travelled through the industrial labyrinth of the powerhouse in a maelstrom of visual and auditory images created by leading Brisbane and interstate artists. The levels of the building melded via computer video projections on a 60-foot screen. DJs exposed the latest in industrial dance music and high-caliber installation and performance artists created a bombardment images that conjured a sense of danger, the nuclear age and energy intimately connected with the powerhouse. Curators of Transplant and directors of Omniscient Gallery, Richard Mansfield, Andrew Forbes and James Dabrowski recognised the tremendous potential of the building as an artistic venue. Having run community-orientated galleries in Wollongabba and Orkin Flowers since 1990, in Transplant, they were seeking to extend their exhibition space outside of the gallery. 
Yeah, so it was pretty wild and um, it was a fairly dangerous place and people were warned before they came in how dangerous it might be. My partner Lisa, she said it was the most exciting performance uh, she had ever seen, then or even now. It was scary, dark cavernous spaces and it was a flooded stinky basement but the derelict nature of the building and the way that the performers responded to the spaces made it for her something really special. Hello, I'm Jim Reeves. Uh, I formerly worked for the Lord Mayor as his Chief of Staff. So I remember, it probably would have been in about 97, I guess, crawling through the hole in the fence with the Mayor, coming into this place that was obviously occupied by people who were sleeping rough, people who were doing graffiti, people who were doing all sorts of licit and illicit things in the building. So we came here with the mayor and with the chairman of the areas and the managers of all that stuff and um, walked around the place at the time and it was, it was really dangerous. There were bits of steel hanging out of the walls and there was water in the basement, it stank, there was oil on the floor, it was really slippery. You could fall over and you could slip into some of the big cavernous voids that went down um, to the, where the turbine blocks were below. And um, the park was there and there was a fence between the park and this building. This, this part of the building was really, really, really rough. It was overgrown on one side and had a lot of fig trees, as I said, growing out of the building. The northern end of it in particular, the bit that was built first had deteriorated most. The place was full of pigeons. You walk into the place and, the, and all the birds sort of flew off and made a massive noise there. Um, and of course there were people living here, or at least occupying it. We then got down to the hard work of saying, well, how would you actually construct in a building that was very, very hard to modify? You know, the structures here are so solid and so heavy because they were supporting huge turbines and all that sort of business. In Europe, from coming out of the Second World War, there were a lot of buildings that were bombed and churches in particular, where the congregation was still there after the church was bombed and, and often people would build a building inside the building and that's what we saw that we might be able to do here. We saw that as an opportunity and that's how we saw the main theatre going into the building, sliding in between the walls um, and the analogy we used was like a dry, uh, like a boat going into a dry dock and just gently touching the walls but being in there and, and having a nice tight fit while it was getting refitted, which is a good analogy for this one too. We had those thoughts in our head when we were thinking about what we might do and how much space we might get there and the council decided they would have one theatre and, and somehow that theatre was going to go inside the building. The building itself spoke so much that trying to turn it into a municipal arts centre, trying to put carpets and chrome and lots of cream formica tops everywhere was just like completely the wrong thing to do. Part of, part of the idea of, of a building sitting on, the, um, sitting on the river is that it should actually enjoy the river. The, Brisbane's here because the river's here and it's the, it's the generator of everything in the place and it, to recognise that and to allow people to move out onto those spaces outside is part of the design there. So we put the restaurant down below and opened it up to the river so that everybody could actually enjoy that part of, um, of Brisbane's birth. Yeah. 
people had broken into this place and left their artistic marks all over it. So we decided we would leave the graffiti. It's got a rough hue and finish quite deliberately to stand in stark contrast with the Queensland Performing Arts Centre on the other side of the river, which is more for the fine arts, ballet, opera. This was basically to be rough, Ewan, and a place people would feel comfortable. By that time, the performing arts had been opened up, and so there was a substantial concert hall and a substantial opera house in, a, um, uh, in the town, in the city. The powerhouse was fortunate in some ways, in that it filled gaps in the theatre world in Brisbane. This building was, it was embraced by the gay community. And I think that really gave it an enormous lift in that it was different, the building was different, the architecture was different, the way the building was put together was different. The shows that were going on in here and the, and the sort of freedom that it represented about the whole of social life and social justice was kind of um, reinforced by that uh, embracing of it by the gay movement. And it gave it an enormous boost at a time when maybe it wouldn't have got, you know, big audiences. It just, it just got massive audiences. And it was amazing, really, to see people turn up here in droves like they did, just come down for a drink not necessarily go to a show, but just be around the place, which just represented something that was revolutionary in a way, revolutionary in terms of what Brisbane could take and what Brisbane could show. City Council and city buildings in general are very welcoming to the public. That's what the City Council does. It provides services for its citizens and that's why we guess we pay rates. So you can walk into a library even though you may be the poorest person in Brisbane or the richest person in Brisbane. You can walk into the City Hall under the same circumstances. No one will stop you going in there. No one will stop you using the toilets. No one will stop you looking at the books or, you, or newspapers. And it's the same with this place here. The public can get access into it. It's philosophy and always has been part of their philosophy. Yeah. To let people in and to let them use the buildings that essentially they pay for. The initial cost estimate was about $7 million. It ended up costing about 23, 24, and there's been some more spent on it since, so it's probably about a $30 million investment. But in terms of um, Brisbane's livability, in terms of young people, in terms of you know, the, the arts community, it's probably one of the best decisions we ever made. Once upon a time, there were three little girls who went to the police academy. And they were each assigned very hazardous duties. But I took them away from all that, and now they work for me. My name is Four Triple I say to the Leader of the Opposition, I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. I will not. You're listening to Ray, Miranda and Sam from Megahers and we're going to be talking a little bit about Julia Gillard's world famous misogyny speech today. The misogyny speech was delivered by the then Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard on the 9th of October 2012 in reaction to sexism from opposition leader Tony Abbott. The opposition leader at the time, Tony Abbott, 
had risen in Parliament with a motion to have Peter Slipper removed as Speaker over crude and sexist texts Slipper had sent to an aide. Gillard made statements in support of Slipper. Gillard said that every day, in every way, Abbott was sexist and a misogynist. The Leader of the Opposition says that people who hold sexist views and who are misogynists are not appropriate for high office. Well, I hope the Leader of the Opposition has got a piece of paper and he is writing out his resignation. And so, throughout the speech, she just basically... Lambasted him. Yeah, basically <laughs> just took him to town about all of the little remarks he had made and all of the handed things that he had done that are just extremely sexist. We are now supposed to take seriously that the Leader of the Opposition is offended by Mr Slipper's text messages. When this is the Leader of the Opposition who has said, and this was when he was a minister under the last government, he has said, and I quote, in a discussion about uh, women being underrepresented in institutions of power in Australia, the interviewer was a man called Stavros. The Leader of the Opposition says, if it's true, Stavros, that men have more power, generally speaking, than women, is that a bad thing? <laughs> and then a discussion ensues and another person being interviewed says, I want my daughter to have as much opportunity as my son. To which the Leader of the Opposition says, yeah, I completely agree, but what if men are by physiology or temperament more adapted to exercise authority or to issue command. <laughs> I was actually quite happy about the response from it and I've always said I feel like in terms of commentary in media and on social media I feel like everybody seems to know about US politics but nobody pays any attention to Australian politics unless something really odd happens and something that's a little bit weird and I think that this was seen as like a little bit different as well. It somewhat is a feminist victory to have conservative women speaking because it, it does show how ingrained as a society we've um, allowed women to progress more than say 50, 100 years ago. I do sometimes struggle with understanding how a person who is a feminist and has politics that are so radically different to my conception of feminism, sometimes I have a, I struggle with that a little bit, but I do also accept that it is, it, as you said, it is a victory to have conservative women speak about women's yeah. rights. And I think even someone like Julia Gillard is problematic, even though she spoke of something that all feminists and, you know, women can relate to. She then cut funding to the, it was the single parents. Yeah, she changed a bunch of the rules regarding a single parent payment, which would basically predominantly affect single mothers. It was a very fine line like, you know, that she walked during her days in power in which she on one side was either being judged for being too much appealing to her base and too much having to draw on you know the party and like you know, be as appealing as possible but at the same time she still had those beliefs and ideas mm. that she herself had to balance against that. And all the time the media was, you know, talking about what her hair looked like and... <laughs> Welcome to the Super Duper Not What You Used To Quiz. I'm your host, Lisa Turkey, and tonight our funds Nadine is playing for an all-expense-paid trip to fabulous Wagga Wagga, where she'll attend the world-famous Wagga Wagga Paperclip Workshop. To win this Spiffio Prize, Nadine, just answer this question. Are you ready? Yes. Name the women's radio collective show that's on every Sunday from 5 to 8 p.m. on 4 Z. You have 10 seconds. Oh, women's radio collective, 4 Z. 5 to 8 on Sundays, I know it, I know it. It's, um, it's, um, oh, it's Megahertz. It's Megahertz. Yes, that's right. Megahertz. Congratulations, Nadine. 
nations of a bunch of megalomaniacs getting together to discuss economics and the maintenance of the status quo. Why is it costing over 20,000 per day for each of the 7,000 plus guests? Why did it cost 150,000 just to get a table thrown in? And 70,000 for the chairs. And 70,000 for the chairs. Do we not have tables and chairs in Brisbane? Do we not have tables and chairs in Brisbane? Do we not? listening there to the Brisbane Complaints Choir. In 2014, world leaders gathered in Brisbane for the G20 Summit, held over two days at the Brisbane Convention Centre. Prime Minister Julia Gillard had won the G20 Summit for Australia during her leadership in 2013. Brisbane was a controversial choice, with the New South Wales government deeming it a political move to boost Labor's waning numbers in Queensland. Gillard insisted that the decision was based solely on the capability of handling such an event, citing the Ready Convention Centre and Brisbane's airport is better equipped for the anticipated influx of leaders flying in. However, the PM's time in office was not long enough to see her plans through and she was replaced by Abbott. In preparation for the event, the Queensland Police Service established an exclusion zone at the inner Brisbane suburbs that spanned from Bowen Hills to Southbank. Residents in or near the zone faced lockout periods and were informed by authorities that they could neither leave nor enter their homes when leaders were moving. Some were even required to provide details about their property and vehicles. Barricades began going up two weeks prior to the event, with the convention centre being the first to be declared as a no-go zone. There were concerns about security measures put in place to control protesters in light of the overkill experienced by protesters at the Toronto G20 in 2010. Lead plaintiff for the case against the Toronto Police Department, Sherry Good, told 4ZZZ's Louise Evans about her run-in with riot cops in Toronto. My friend was surrounded by the police and pushed up against a wall. I was left standing outside of the circle around him with another police officer just talking to me. My friend's iPhone was broken. He was threatened with being shot. He was threatened that they would break his arm. He was told to go back to Montreal. He lives in Toronto. He showed them ID. They said ID can be faked. It's kind of scary. While the media and police manufactured the tension in the minds of ordinary citizens, the Newman State Government tried to ease the tension by holding a free event called the G20 Cultural Celebration. But not all artists took the bait. Jonathan Shree from Multilovers told us why they turned down the offer. We decided that the G20 Cultural Celebrations were of a I guess a fundamentally different quality. We looked at how they were being promoted in the media and the kind of messaging the government was using and we decided that while part of the motivation for putting on all these free events really was just to entertain people, it kind of looked like the government's underlying agenda was to distract people from thinking critically about the G20. So instead of everyone thinking for themselves and asking, well, what is the G20? What impact does it really have on global economic systems? What's with all the paranoid security measures? Most Brisbaneites now just associate it with some kind of party. And that's the message that we've seen in publications like the Courier Mail that runs stories about the G20 with the headline, Forget Politics, Let's Party. And, and that means that a few weeks from now, when people start protesting against the G20, a large number of Brisbaneites whose only connection with the summit is through all these cultural events will perhaps turn against the protesters. Do not doubt the government's resolve. Do not doubt that we are going to see this thing through. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. We are the government. We decide what's best for you. Dear Queensland, your sat-nav's out of date You followed the wrong road and now we're turning into a police state Legislating democratic disruption Two-party system, double the corruption Privatising while facilitating corporate greed Funding cuts for any NGO that disagreed Out with the old and in with your friends is fine I'll hire your son and you hire mine This is Queensland, 
where no man is carried We like our blacks in jail and our gays unmarried If you protest, we'll lock you away You have the freedom to do what we say But you can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP Trashing the environment, but the mainstream media is like, no worries, mate, it's good for the economy. The Courier Mail ain't the paper that it used to be when rich white men get to set the agenda. Free speech don't mean much for the rest of us. I know you're not evil, you think you're doing the right thing, but it's frightening, disheartening how shit you are at listening. This is Queensland, we don't allow bitching. We like our kids Christian and our women in kitchens. Immigrants on welfare are lazy slobs, but if they find employment, well, they took our jobs. Leaders of Queensland, you give the homeless grief, and you're dumping half a mountain on the barrier reef. You close hospitals and open casinos, that's where the green goes. I always knew you were trouble. And now the pot's overflowing. Are you power hungry or just plain stupid? Either way, we won't water the weeds you're sowing. Cause you can't trust the LNP. You don't trust the LNP. Want me like a fly If I don't comply Send the cops in to tase me Question the system, they'll label you crazy If you don't believe this is history repeating Then Google corruption and Joe B. Olke Peterson They changed campaign finance rules To make it harder for the minor parties running While warehousing criminals Like tools in bunnings Locking kids up Pop that bubble, locking kids up While legal aid is underfunded, locking kids up Even though it causes more trouble It's all part of the incarceration business model Done nothing wrong, nothing to fear That's what the Nazis told the Jews And yeah, I know Campbell Newman's nothing like Hitler But his propaganda sounds eerily familiar This is Queensland You better dress formal Four wheel strip search anyone who doesn't look normal the poor get poorer while we're whining and dining Lining pockets with profits from unsustainable mining Short sighted And now the pot is overflowing Are you power hungry or just plain stupid? Either way, we won't water the weeds you're sowing Cause you can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP You can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP Wake up Queensland, smell the cat shit in your cereal Stinks like it's venereal No one thinks for themselves There's no critical inquiry Distracted by the bright lights and river fire We swallow propaganda And say thanks for the medicine Swallow propaganda and don't ask questions We swallow propaganda And we will get what we deserve You heard there from Rivermouth with their song Propaganda A range of items were banned from the G20 exclusion zone Some obvious like guns Others more bizarre the Brisbane Lizard Liberation Front have broken their silence on the G20 Safety and Security Act, which has condemned the reptile to the status of prohibited item. A spokesperson for the BLLF said that they intend to resist the laws. Campbell Newman and his cronies might think that they can push around the humans and tell them where they can and can't go, but we lizards have been in Brisbane longer than them and have survived centuries of overdevelopment and habitat destruction. If these politicians think they can keep us out of the city just by spending a few hundred million dollars on police and security, they have a lot to learn. Reptiles are one of the many things on the list of prohibited items in the G20 laws that have come into effect this week. The lizard said, it is offensive that these laws assume that lizards are somehow the problem here. Humans and their so-called leaders continue to irreversibly affect our climate, clear our forest and commodify the planet we all share. And they claim that safety comes from banning lizards. We think that safety comes from banning world leaders and economic summits. There are reports that blue tongues, skinks and bearded dragons have been hassled repeatedly by the police, being handed exclusion notices and locked up in temporary watchhouses. The BLLF said... We don't acknowledge the authority of anyone who relies on a paid and armed battalion to enable them to meet together. As such, we will not be submitting to their laws, nor will we be giving heed to the resolutions that come from their summit. And we hope that all humans who want to live in a peaceful, sustainable cooperation with our species will do the same. 
You are listening to a reading from the Lizards Liberation Front Manifesto, a satirical dig at the G20 laws. The local government and the G20 task force declared November 14 as a public holiday to ease the movement of motorcades. The then PM Tony Abbott did nothing to decrease the pre-summit tensions, issuing a now legendary threat to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Embarrassing Australians on a global scale. Look, I'm going to uh, shirt front Mr Putin. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. The PM ordered Australian naval ships HMAS Parramatta and HMAS Stewart to crash sail to the Coral Sea in a bid to greet the Russian fleet. Strangely enough, Abbott gave Putin a meek greeting while the Russian president brought three warships with him that lay off the coast of Brisbane during the event. I think that uh, the climate change science uh, is far from settled. Um, The fact that we've had, uh, if anything, cooling global temperatures. Worldwide, this past summer was the hottest on record. No nation is immune. And every nation has a responsibility to do its part. Here, a climate that increases in temperature will mean more extreme and frequent storms, more flooding, rising seas that submerged Pacific Islands. Coal is good for humanity. Coal is good for prosperity. Coal is an essential part of our economic future here in Australia and right around the world. As we develop, as we focus on our economy, we cannot forget the need to lead on the global fight against climate change. Now, I know that's... I know... uh, I know there's been a healthy debate in this country about it. (laughs) Here in Australia, it means longer droughts, more wildfires. The incredible natural glory of the Great Barrier Reef is threatened. The summit was met with many protesting Australian activists, rallying for global action on climate change, a politically hot topic since PM Abbott abolished the Climate Commission, deciding the public didn't need information about the effects and possible solutions to the rapidly changing climate. Ignoring the biggest issue of our time, Abbott restricted his G20 opening address to his domestic problems, coming across as ignorant and parochial. Abbott's ignorance on climate matters was publicly rejected by the US President Barack Obama, who dedicated a significant portion of his speech to climate change. Under my climate action plan, we intend to do more. In Beijing, I announced our ambitious new goal, reducing our net greenhouse gas emissions by 26 to 28 percent below 2005 levels by the year 2025, which will double the pace at which we're reducing carbon pollution in the United States. For now and for the foreseeable future, the foundation of Australia's energy needs will be coal. I would like to complain about the fact that I can't walk around with my detachable colostomy bag during G20. I would like to complain about the fact there's not enough people complaining about G20. Friends of the Earth was a key organiser of the counter-protests against the G20 in Brisbane. Robin Torbenfeld tells us how the Brisbane G20 Collective intended to put climate change on the agenda. She talks to Carolyn Cooper from Perth Community Radio Station RTRFM. Last year it became apparent that there was going to be some need for community responses to the G20 Leaders Summit that was planned for Brisbane and the leaders' presence here in our region. 
and we started having open community meetings, discussions about what way it would be useful and positive to respond, and out of that grew the Brisbane Community Action Network, which is really a network. It's not an organization. It is a network of individuals and people from organizations who all agree that we need to address the ecological destruction and the social disparity that the G20 systems perpetuate and need to support First Nations calls for action and broader community um, calls for action for decolonization, for global responses and positive responses to climate change and for a peaceful and more just world. Talk to us, I guess, about the what you guys have planned to protest or to vision, I guess, another world as you seem to be pitching it. It seems like there's a real emphasis on, on trying to make this a, a real positive uh, you know, response or alternative to, uh, yes, I guess, the madness that uh, is the official happening. Yes, there has been a very concerted methodological attempt to portray any community response or concern about what's happening in the G20 meeting as potentially violent, any concern about what's going on here as a threat to the community, rather as part of our vibrant democracy. And there's been an increased militarization of our police service here. There's, they've been given increased powers. They've been um, given surveillance centers in both Brisbane and Cairns. And we're expecting 6,000 police on the ground any day here in Brisbane in the lead-up and during and um, beyond the G20. And we're seeing a, a vast encroachment of our civil liberties and, and local, state, and federal laws enacted to curtail our right to assemble. And despite that, we know that, or because of that, we know that we need to respond. We can't sit here idly by and say, oh, that's okay, where our civil liberties are threatened, and so we're not going to do anything about the system that is really privileging the few and creating poverty and further impoverishing people around the world. And we've been talking to people in Brazil and people in India and people in Turkey and people around the world who are directly impacted. Billions of people are impacted by the decisions that are made in this um, the G20 leaders meeting and their financial leaders meeting, which is probably where most of the key decisions are made. And it's not okay to do nothing, that we felt we needed to uh, respond. We don't believe that it's fair or just the media continuously portraying any response as protest. Uh, we believe that there's valid reason for a community response, and we've seen over the last few months a broad array of types of community responses coming out of the Brisbane and um, local and international communities. So, and we've seen that there's going to be the um, Australian religious response to climate change, there's going to be prayer vigils, there's a week of First Nations action, um, reclaiming, asserting sovereignty over Musgrave Park, and um, having corroboree, having forums, having sessions, talk, talking circles and yarning circles, a First Nations conference, and we're hosting the Visioning Another World for a more positive, progressive society. And we believe that the community already has the answer to the things that actually the G20 is trying to avoid, which are strong, positive responses to climate, ecological, and economical justice. Uh, there's many ways to develop a financial system that could be more equitable. There's things not addressed by the G20 at all because the G20 is actually based on militarization and colonization and the expansion of global capitalism and corporate control of decision-making. And so we know there's alternatives. We believe the people have the answers. And so we believe this is an opportunity to get together and talk about real solutions to real problems locally and globally.
coverage prior to the G20 meetings was perceived by Friends of the Earth and other protest groups as scaremongering. On November the 8th, the Saturday before the official leaders' summit started, the front page of Queensland's Murdoch tabloid, the Courier-Mail, carried a large picture of a police officer in riot gear, with burning cars behind him, with the headline, City's longest week underway as invasion begins. But as head of Griffiths University School of Criminology, Janet Rawnsley, told 4ZZZ, the fear was overhyped. I could imagine that legitimate protest groups, as we've said, and that there are many of them who have been working very cooperatively and closely with police, would feel um, a bit uh, put out and fearful that some of this uh, overreaction could result in harsher police tactics against them. And it's just a shame that the focus on speculative possibilities of a few people might affect the rights of hundreds, if not thousands, to engage in lawful protests. Organiser Robin Torbenfeld was personally vilified by the Murdoch press, who portrayed her as a person who would unleash hell on our streets, while wearing a Martin Luther King t-shirt and espousing non-violence, holding a banner that accused the state government of funding arms fairs, which the paper omitted from their biased portrayal of the people's movement. Many protesters were concerned about how to effectively get their message across, given the proven bias of the local media. Bo Spearham from the Brisbane Sovereign Embassy told 4ZZZ the event was an opportunity to speak on a world stage. What we want to do with that meeting is have a discussion, whether it's on sovereignty, whether we want to talk about a treaty or, you know, break down the the constitution, what it really is going to mean to us as First Nations people, you know. So I guess it's just hopefully we can get a national audience to get up and, and talk on their different perspectives of treaty, of of sovereignty and give their thoughts on such things as constitutional recognition and also, you know, talking up, talking up things of self-determination. I guess how we see ourselves on an international arena with other First Nations people around the world. Fort Z also copped some flack in the pre-G20 media storm with the long-running anarchy show being portrayed as the face of violent extremism in Brisbane. Linda Rose. Anarchy's for lovers, if you didn't know. For a change from spreading fear about Muslims, the Korean Mail this weekend focused on anarchists. The front cover for Saturday, September 27, contains a beat-up about plans for anarchy at Brisbane's G20. So now is a good time to reiterate that anarchy is not violence. At the beginning of every episode of The Anarchy Show, the introduction borrows these words from Alexander Berkman. Anarchism is not bombs, disorder or chaos. It is not robbery and murder. It is not a war of each against all. Anarchism is the very opposite of all that. Anarchism is love. Anarchist action stems from love. And that's what puts us up against capitalism and economic organisations such as the G20. Capitalism is not about love. Capitalism is about greed. The result of capitalism is environmental destruction poverty and erosion of workers' rights and war. The focus of the article Brisbane G20 looms as security nightmare as protesters plan for mayhem is a WordPress site Plan B G20.wordpress.com. Apparently Plan B is a plan to unleash waves of destruction during the G20 in Brisbane. The Plan B site suggests actions, but gives no indication there are any groups or actual plans associated with it. However, no matter how much destruction or disruption an anarchist group might cause, it will never equal the destruction caused by capitalism and the decisions made by the G20 and similar international organisations. flies overhead, warming up for a display for Brisbane residents, river fire a family event, because under capitalism war is entertainment. Yet according to the mainstream media, government and police, anarchists armed with a desire for equality and universal peace are a threat. The Plan B site does suggest some actions, 
but none of those involve violence. Property destruction is not violence. And anyway, there are far more important issues discussed on the Plan B site. The violence, mayhem and destruction caused by neoliberal capitalism, which is at the heart of the G20's agenda. The gap between rich and poor is still growing. Children routinely die starving while hordes of food rots. The world moves daily closer to feeling the tangible effects of irreversible climate change. Profits flow through borders unimpeded, always into the pockets of the rich, but people are caught in razor wire traps. This is fundamentals making waves, but at this rate I'll still be slave until I'm 88. Where there's a will, there's a way. Still you gotta chill, cause Rome wasn't built in a day. If you feel what I say, go ahead, take the day off. Sometimes you gotta find a calm in the chaos. That was the fundamentals with their song, Calm in the Chaos. Ultimately, the G20 security overkill was a waste of the $400 million put into the police. Peaceful protesters faced a 40 degree heat, which the then Premier Campbell Newman said, it zapped everyone of strength, or the will to raise hell. Over 1,000 protesters joined the street protest outside the G20 venue. Only 14 people were arrested under the G20 laws, only one of them was protest related. Veteran protester Kieran O'Reilly made a point of defying the laws by entering the exclusion zone after he was named, alongside 27 people who had been preemptively excluded as a prohibited person. The increased militarisation of the local police force and the crackdown on civil dissent had lingering effects in Queensland during the repressive LNP government at that time. A raft of laws had been put in place. VLAD, the Vicious Lawless Association Disestablishment Act, the G20 Act, the Out of Control Events Act, the Brisbane City Council's Public Land and Council Assets Local Law. These laws criminalised association, use of public space, poverty, homelessness and political expression. Only the G20 Act is no longer in place. The G20 event did serve to expose the blatant scaremongering of the Queensland Murdoch-owned media and continued the downward spiral of the print media as a source of valid local information for Brisbaneites. However, the civil society network, BrisCan G20, forged ongoing links between grassroots activists in Brisbane and internationally that continue to this day. As organiser Robin Torbenfeld reflects, Despite the repression, the remaining surveillance centres, the draconian laws and the Murdoch media, the connections in response to the G20 are ongoing. Newman government has been deposed, an Aboriginal woman has been elected to the Queensland Parliament for the first time, and women make up an unprecedented percentage of parliamentarians overall. People are feeling vigilant but cautiously hopeful. Give me my beans back, open the car parks, bags without people make sense. You've been listening to Radio in Colour. We acknowledge the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and our production partners, Brisbane Radio Stations 4EB 98.1 FM and 4ZZZ 102.1 FM, as well as the State Library of Queensland's The Edge, which teaches digital skills to Queenslanders from all walks of life. Learn something today. Visit edgeqld.org.au. The MDA, Multicultural Development Association, is also a partner in this project, and thanks go out to them too. Radio in Colour is made by a team of young producers from 15 different countries, including Iran, Sudan, Uruguay, Syria, and Australia. You can learn more about our work on the 4ZZZ website, 4ZZZFM.org.au, and you can also listen to our stories on the move on SoundCloud. This show was produced by Carolina Kaliaba and Stephen Regal. Ni Adopoyibi is our sound engineer and Blair Martin is our trainer. And a special thanks to Kim Stewart. My name is Stephen Regal. Oh, I just love the kind of woman who can Walk over a man I mean like a goddamn marching band She says like literally music is
malaprops make me wanna fucking scream I wonder if she even knows what that word means Well, it's literally not Told too many times they're beyond the years. By every half wit of distinction she keeps around, and now every insufferable convo features her patiently explaining. Delta I have lied. 